Hello, everybody, and welcome to Opinions Through Time and Space. And I'm joined today by my faithful traveller in time, Sean Campbell. Hello, Sean, how are you? I'm doing really, really well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad at all. Sweating like I don't know what, but other than that... Yeah. 10,000 degrees where I am, I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's something similar, to be fair. Oh. Um, and yeah, we're here today uh, to go through episode three of the first season of Doctor Who, The Unquiet Dead. And it's the first of many contributions by um, Mark Gattis, who wrote this episode. He's written many more down the, through the series. And he's also appeared in the uh, odd episode or two as well, hasn't he? Yes, they will be seeing, we'll be seeing him in the Lazarus Experiment in season three. Yes, and indeed. He's known for his work on Sherlock as well. He's a big part of that. He's a recurring character in that. Not Professor Lazarus, of course, but... Um, his Mycroft Holmes, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, I think he's done some work on Game of Thrones as well. Yeah, yeah, he, he's appeared in that. He's obviously famous for the, the League of Gentlemen, the comedy series. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah, he's, he's done all sorts of things. I'll tell you really. one thing I didn't know as well until you said it. What's this episode called? The Unquiet Dead. I always thought it was The Unquiet Dead. I'll be brutally honest with you. That's what I've thought it's been called for every day of my life until the day. Well, there's always a chance I've gotten it wrong. Well, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Because <laughs> they're not quite dead. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Anyway. You're making me want to look this up now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah, this one was actually it was filmed in Swansea as well, not Cardiff, even though it's set in Cardiff. Yeah, uh, it's which bizarre. is funny because normally when they film when they when an episode's set in London, it's filmed in Cardiff, not London. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you go on what the cheapest and uh, best location is, I suppose. Well, I mean, I mean, looking on the bit of trivia I found, I don't know if it's true, but take it with a pinch of salt. But it was because. Uh, Swansea had more Victorian-looking buildings about it. Oh, that's a decent enough reason, I would say. Yeah. So we open up, and uh, we're in a funeral home of all places. Um, funeral director and a bereaved client. Uh, Mourning over uh, dead grandma, I think it is, isn't it? Yes, is that Mr. Sneed is the uh, that's it name of the Undertaker. He's a recurring character in this episode, and but, um, uh, the young man certainly isn't because he mentions Kiki End at the start of this episode. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He doesn't get very far, does he? Um, but we see like a blue, like a blue light uh, surround. Um, the deceased's head and that's when you know she's coming alive and grabbing her grandson isn't she I think and choking him yeah I think she just that snaps his neck yeah she, she very may well do 
which I think is almost um, I don't know if it was intended, but I think that's kind of a hint towards the end, the twist at the end of this episode, because she, they do just kill a guy in cold blood here. Yeah, it's quite. Uh... Yeah, it's quite a brutal death scene for a, uh, a show aimed yeah. at kids. And it is, and it's... Um, I love Sneed's reaction as well when he comes in. He doesn't scream. He's like, oh, not again. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I was going to say to that, um, the, the funeral director is less than surprised, isn't he? It's uh, <laughs> not the shock and uh, panic you'd expect from such a happening. And he just simply shouts, Gwyneth, it's happening again. Like, oh, not again. <laughs> yeah, this is a dead coming back to life, a regular occurrence. <laughs> but yeah, she throws him off and manages to walk out of the building. And yeah, I wanted to see as well that the shot of that woman walking towards the camera like legitimately creeped me out as a kid. Yeah, like, quite a quite a scary. Uh, like when it zooms right in, shot face. isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't help that she reminds me of the woman in black, which I've seen twice on stage and absolutely terrified me. As my girlfriend can attest to, but it, <laughs> I was basically hiding behind her during the entire. <laughs> that's, I think maybe that's part of it for me. It you know, back. you know, you're admitting this to dozens of listeners now, don't you? Oh yeah, but anyway, I'll admit it to anyone. I'm, I'll admit this to anyone. I am the biggest wimp in the world. <laughs> you can have me on record. As that. I'm probably not too far behind you, truth be told. But uh, there we go. We. Then we go into the um, starting sequence of the episode, and uh, we're with Rose and the Doctor on the TARDIS as he's uh, trying to fly the thing. This is the first time in the new season that we see the uh, the difficulty of piloting the TARDIS. Yeah, it's uh, not easy by the looks of it. Compared to the first episode where he just, where, well, the second episode, excuse me, where he's fine. <laughs> he doesn't have to it, it's fine. And he's planning on taking Rose to Naples circa 1860. And he advises Rose to change into a tyre more appropriate for the time period. Yeah, I like the um I like the the randomness of when he picks 1860. And he goes, what happened in 1860? And he goes, I don't know, let's just go and look. Like I like that I like that attitude of the doctors. Just, yeah, let's just go find out. And this goes back to you when we were talking on our first podcast uh, about the TARDIS not always taking the Doctor to where he wants to go. Because uh, we do not end up in Naples, 1860, do we? No. I think the next shot is Gwyneth, um, played by Eva Miles, who's um, another person who... uh, well, not on Doctor Who, but uh, well, she has appeared again in Doctor Who, but yeah, more prominently yeah, in uh, in Torchwood, doesn't it? Yeah, she's a, she's the. I don't necessarily want to say she's the main character in Torchwood because they all have them in it in like sort of in the limelight, but she's the character's point of view in Torchwood. Yeah, yeah. The, I would say point. I would say Captain Jack's probably the main character, that, but yeah. Um, they do all that there. Uh, she's the, she's the companion. Equipment, yeah, like she's the closest thing to that. Like she's the uh, the eyes of the audience. Because doesn't she? Is it, doesn't she start off as a cop and then get roped into 
roped into it all. I'm not an avid Torchwood fan. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Torchwood a couple of times. Yeah, she's a cop, and then in the first episode, someone dies, so she takes her place. And, yeah. But anyway, Torchwood's a weird season. It's like when it's when it's when it's good, it's really really good. But when it's bad, it's really really bad. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one when they did. Uh, five episodes and they had one after the other over the same week that was uh was it yeah, children of earth good. that was really good we might that's, that's a podcast sometime yeah yeah definitely definitely 100 percent. but anyway back on track and gwyneth is trying to convince mr sneed that they need to get help and sort this problem of the dead coming uh coming awake out but uh he seems to think it's a less urgent problem at the moment doesn't he yeah, um, I like Sneed in this. Um, he's very uh, like he's he's cruel, and he cares. He very clearly cares more about his business than he does about the fact that the dead are getting up and walking around. Like, well, he's very money orientated, I suppose. I wouldn't say he's cruel. Cruel. He um, threatens to dismiss uh, um, <laughs> Gwyneth on the spot. If she doesn't try to use her psychic powers. Uh, to find yeah, him. yeah. Well, I was going to get to that, but whether he really would have, I don't know. I mean, but still, to threaten it is a cruel action, even true, if he wasn't going to follow through. But like, if but my back... boss said to me, "Should do this, do this, or you are fired," even if they didn't mean to follow through with it, that's still mean. Yeah, but back back in back in those days, uh, I think I think you could expect far worse in all honesty. But yeah, yeah, you're right. He's he's not super nice. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying he's uh, employer of the year or anything. But yeah, so uh, as you've skipped ahead, we'll get to that. Yeah, she obviously has um, visions or something, doesn't she? But... Well, this is something Doctor Who does, which I like, and I've, and I've got nothing against like uh, fantasy and horror, like with ghosts and things, but Doctor Who tends to turn it all into science, so again spoilers but ghosts become gaseous life forms and psychic powers becomes uh, you can see through a rip you have a connection to a rift in yeah time. yeah i like it it works like it is it's uh very clever very threaded together yeah. it is uh, i mean this is jumping ahead a bit but when one of the characters says later on like oh so i i just don't understand the world and the doctor says it's not that you don't understand it there's just more to learn and i like that you know it uh I mean, um, there's a thing in most things where any, like at some point, if if you were like a, a, a like a sort of tribe and you've seen like a mobile phone today, you would think that's magic. You know what I mean? But it's not. It's just something you don't understand. It is magic, isn't it? Yes. What do you mean? Yes, it is. Oh. You're telling <laughs> me You'll be telling me Santa's not real next. Well, well, we better move on quick. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, uh, the next shot is um, another person who becomes a, a main character through this story. Um, we see Charles Dickens, played by uh, Simon Callow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's a guy, he's played him a couple of times. Uh, he played him in a, in a one-man play, I think, called The Mystery of Charles Dickens. Oh, right. I didn't know that, actually. So uh, show him with the facts here. Yeah, and he, uh, and again, this is um, I I saw this on a, I think on a website. I'm I couldn't entirely uh, back it up as truth. So take and take us with a pinch of salt. But there's something uh, he was only going to agree to play the role 
after he read the script. And he was hesitant to because most fiction writes Charles Dickens as um, as being like very sort of happy and optimistic all the time. And not that he was never happy and optimistic, yeah. But especially towards the end of his life, he, he did he did kind of get burnt out. Things, but then he said, you know, that's that's represented in this episode, in this episode really well. He does, be, he is just burnt out, and I really like that characterization of him. Yeah, yeah, we see in this first um, his first appearance when I, I presume a stagehand is telling him he's, he's he's almost ready to go on, and he's bemoaning that he's running out of ideas, and he thinks he's seen everything there is to see, and and what and whatnot. He's not in the happiest of places here, is he? Clearly. No, he's not. I mean, that's, it turns out that stagehand is a really well-written uh, character for for what he is. If you know what I mean, like a very yeah. well, he's he seems very real and comes across as just, just like a really nice, polite guy. <laughs> it seems to Doctor Who does that a lot. They're really, it's really good at making uh, smaller characters good and make the world feel a little more real. Yeah. And just another thing on using Dickens as well, I do like that the use of historical figures because it's true to the original foundation of the show when it was produced back in the 60s. It was made in part to try to educate kids in some way about history. So I like that you learn about, um, you know, when I was a kid, this is probably when I first heard of Charles Dickens. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd have heard of his place and things like that, but the actual name, was, this is probably my first exposure to it. So, Yeah, well, quite the opposite for me. I was uh, very aware of Charles Dickens, but I was 25, so I, I, I should have been. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So uh, then, we go back. Go on. Yeah. But no, I was just saying, uh, and then it, it, it goes to him on stage, doesn't it? No, not yet. Oh, sorry, excuse me. Then I'll, I'll let you read. <laughs> not according to my notes, anyway. Um, what I've got, we go, um, we go back to um, Gwyneth and her boss, um, Mrs. Sneed. They're on a horse and carriage roaming the city looking for the... Uh, the undead woman that escaped from his uh, funeral parlour. We've already established that um, she has some kind of vision. We went over that before, so that's why I'm going over this a little bit. Yeah. Sorry, that's my fault. A bit apology. quick. <laughs> You're all right. Um, anyway, and then we're back to Doctor and the Rose, and uh, they land. Well, before they well before they land, Rose has changed into a nice, elegant dress of the time. Yeah, like um, the, perhaps the more suited thing. to Naples than when they're actually heading and uh, the doctor says you look beautiful well considering you're human yeah. so he uh, a nice little Good backhanded thing. compliment there yeah well he was just covering for himself wasn't he I think he was yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, it, that moment's a little I guess it's probably a little on the nose, but it's it's fine. It's harmless, you know. What I mean, it doesn't do the episode any harm. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a nice little bit. I like uh, um, the doctor giving uh, Rose directions to the wardrobe as well. Is it go around? Is it down that <laughs> corridor? Turn right, <laughs> turn left, keep <laughs> going. Second right, past the bins, first door on the left. <laughs> I'd have never got all that. I'd have got lost straight away, probably. I would have got lost after the first right. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, when they land underneath the TARDIS, he, he grabs a paper to check where they are, and uh, he finds out, yeah, that, that, like we were saying, they're not in Naples, uh, 1860. They're, in fact, in Cardiff, circa 1869. Rose doesn't seem to care, though. She's just happy and amazed that they've uh, travelled back in time. 
I like Rose's amazement as well of going back in time as well. Like again, it's one of those things. Like it's, it's sort of a believable reaction, even even if it's slightly cheesy when she's like, uh, "Oh, like, like Christmas, eighteen sixty nine, it's dead and it's gone, and it can never be experienced again." But it can, and it's so magical and wonderful. But <laughs> it is slightly cheesy, but it, it's nice. Like it's. Uh, it, you wouldn't be. Ah, you can travel in time. That's rubbish, mate. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you should be. You would be blown away a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Then we go to. Uh, where you were going to go before, uh, Charles Dickens on stage. Uh, so I suppose you'd call it a recital, would you? Uh, reciting well, one of funny. his works. I, say this is funny um, I really like audiobooks. Uh, <laughs> it was quite funny to see the Victorian equivalent of an audiobook. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> that's what it is, really. Yeah. He's, but, uh, <laughs> again, so they put out there, look this up. Uh, apparently, this is something Charles Dickens used to do. Uh, I mean, apparently book readings in Victoria and London were quite common, but uh, Dickens was uncommon in the sense that uh, he would almost perform them in the same manner of an audiobook. So, well, like it's not a it's not a out and out play performance, but he would give the characters voices and you know, yeah. he, was that. It, he wouldn't just stand and read the book out loud. That'd be a bit boring, really, wouldn't that? Yeah, and apparently, and like uh, his daughter would talk about how when he was writing characters, he would say the dialogue out loud, and then he would look in a mirror to see how his face looked when uh, he was saying it, because that would capture the characters' emotions. It'd be like two people talking about an episode of an old sci-fi show, wouldn't it? Really, It'd just be, yeah, it was, a, bit, it? be yeah. a bit rubbish when you, when you <laughs> think about it. Anyway, and I, also, yeah, I also like how it, it transitions from a Christmas Carol into uh, into the the ghost because he's, he's about to describe what Marley's face looks like, and then the, the woman's face goes blue. Like, oh my god, it looked like that. <laughs> yeah, that that was very clever. They uh, they got that spot on really, didn't they? Very clever. Yeah, you see the 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 lady's face turning blue and. Um, and it's kind of like the light or, or gas. It, it's not really explained what it is yet, so I put light slash gas on my uh, notes. It's sort of expelled from my body, a bit like when you see demons fly out of someone's mouth in uh, other fantasy shows. That that kind of thing is the best way to describe it. I, I, I like the effect of the ghost as well. I think this is probably yeah. something I'm going to say a lot when I'm doing the series, but I think the, the design of a lot of these is... The ones that hold up are the ones that have to take a sort of less is more approach. It's like the Gelt are a very simplistic design, but they age well as a result. I think at first, um, a lot of the audience seems to think it's part of the show, don't they? I don't know what sort of special effects they had in them days, but. Uh, <laughs> well, it they did must have been, like... they must have thought They must have thought it was some quite advanced uh, CGI for 1869. Yeah. <laughs> Mirrors and illusions. But yeah, um, and then it, it all just goes to basically, doesn't it, where the audience yeah. and Sneed and Gwyneth run in, and of course the doctor just throws the newspaper away and runs towards the screaming. Yeah. I, the like, I, like, I like his little quip, that's more like it. As he runs towards the screams. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, um, I like, think, no, 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 yes, it all sort of happens when. And then Rose ends up kidnapped by Sneed, which, what was he going to do with her? I don't know. 
He's just like scared she's going to say something. But This is another yeah. thing of when yeah, like I think I just cruel. don't think he does I just, just straight up kidnap Rose. I think he's panicking. I don't think he's thinking it through, really, is he? And he does also feel her up. <laughs> As Rose according to according to Rose, but uh... <laughs> I mean, I don't think Jed would reason to lie. But... I mean, he's gonna have the he's gonna have the Me Too brigade after him and everything now, isn't he? He's getting himself way over his head. But yeah, um, I like. Um... And then the doctor tries to chase after that carriage in Charles Dickens' carriage. And because then the doctor, because he says, oh, can, like, can I use this coach? And he goes, why not? And he goes, well, because it's mine. So well, get in then, come on. And they do. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a funny moment. The, the whole dialogue between Dickens and the doctor is quite good as well. Where at first, Charles is, oh, just get out, go away. And the driver threatens to throw the doctor out. But then the doctor starts flattering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, but that's a fan. Great fan. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, perhaps he can stay. Like, his ego uh, getting the better of him there. <laughs> and then there's, a, there's a bit in it he doesn't like. I can't remember the specific book or the specific part. Oh, of the yeah, book. yeah. That's padding or something. That was terrible. And he goes, but I thought you said you were my friend. He goes, oh, well, if you can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> But then I like um, I like as well that how even though Dickens is burnt out, he's still a good man. And when he learned and then yeah. the was that uh, old Rose is kidnapped and just yeah because of me. And then he's he's just said, well this doesn't matter. And he just tells the driver, hurry up, come on, we're going to get after him. It's nice. <laughs> they um they finally arrive at the funeral home and um you can hear him knocking and um, Mr. Sneed says to Gwyneth, don't let them in. <laughs> and she uh, opens the doors and tries to stall them, but uh, saying they're closed. And Dickens is like, "Closed? Don't be ridiculous! I, a funeral oh, parlor doesn't keep office hours. The oh. dead don't die on schedule." Yeah, that's a great line. The dead is, don't yeah. die on schedule is fantastic. <laughs> and also, um, well, and like this is shown as well. I like that, even though Dickens is, um, he is shown to be a good man. He is still a man of his time. And uh, he snaps at Gwyneth and is very rude to Gwyneth as well. Like, yeah. he says, like, don't, don't lie to me, child, and things like that. Like, it's good that they do that. And it, it sort of gives you a good, um, sort of shows you how much sort of times have moved on and the way people treat employees and women especially, which is uh, far better now, thankfully. Yeah. And then a bit of when they go in, and they see the girl. Now, this is a fun little thing I found out, right? Uh, Dickens says, what in Shakespeare's name is it? Yeah, yeah, because uh, what the Dickens is a is a common saying. So before that, you know, before that was a saying, people said, what the Shakespeare? Well, this <laughs> Obviously, is the they thing. didn't, but it is, it is quite um, funny. This is the thing, though, right? It's a good line, but what the Dickens is not a reference to Charles Dickens. No, I don't think it is, is it? But it's it's a reference. It's something I don't know why, but it, it basically it's a reference to the devil. And people think it comes from a uh, devilkin. So like you know, so Dickens it kind of ah. came from that. And Shakespeare actually uses uh, the phrase "what the Dickens" in the Merry Wives of Windsor. So there you go. There we go. More facts from Sean, the fact master. And yeah, no, like in the original vein of Doctor Who, I like it to be educational as well. 
and then they run in and save them. And well, they don't necessarily have to save the day because the Gelts just have to flee into the gas, don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah, and um, Dickens starts sort of um, trying to explain it. So this, this what the goings on to himself, doesn't he? Uh, just like, oh, it must be all smoke and mirrors and an illusion. He's not quite prepared to accept it's happening for real at this juncture, is he? No. Uh, he thinks it says mirrors and illusions and he was looking for strings later on. Yeah. And... <laughs> it's a good bit as well where Rose is just going off it with Sneed and the doctor's just standing there smiling, allowing it to happen. He's like, no, you deserve this. You deserve to be shouting at you right now. But yeah, you get a nice little um, nice little bit between Rose and Gwen, a bit like um, from the second episode where she talks to the uh, the blue alien, the blue yeah, maintenance alien. So she's quite good at these uh, little character it's interactions. Nice little, well, uh, uh, I like it. It, it, yeah, it also alludes to um, Father's Day, where Gwen yeah. says. You've been thinking about your father a lot lately, and later on in Father's Day, which to me had a bit, the doctor challenges Rose on, you only came with me because I said we could come back in time, and obviously, I mean, we'll get to that when we get to Father's Day. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a nice reference. One thing, though, as well, again, on a bit more research, sorry, even though as much as I said Steve was a cruel man, uh, the average wage for a Victorian maid in Living Maid in, in around that time was... It was six pounds a year, but Gwyneth is paid eight pounds a year. Yeah, because she does say, doesn't she? Uh, yeah. She gets eight pound, and and um, Rose is like eight pounds, like because that sounds very little to her. And Gwen's like, yeah, I'd have been happy with six. Perhaps you know she got an extra extra bit for the visions. Who knows? So yeah, and I mean, I don't know if it's just a coincidence or not, but it's quite a cool little. Uh, if not, it's quite it's quite good research that, that they did that and actually looked into it and yeah. paid her above average. So, yeah, as much as I was ragging on Sneed earlier, he pays above average wages. So, see, this is what I was getting at. But uh, no, it's good that you do some research because uh, I'll be honest, I can't be bothered. <laughs> it's just, it was just it was just I heard it and I was like, I wonder what the average wage was. Ended up down a rabbit hole. And again, I'm saying that I, I found that on a website somewhere. I I don't know how accurate it is, but. Yeah. Carl makes up wage amounts from the past.com, was it? Yes, that was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it'd be legit information then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then the conversation um, goes to boys, and uh, typical of the time, uh, Gwen gets quite sort of awkward and <laughs> embarrassed about talking about boys and uh, what have you. Yeah, well. <laughs> But she does admit she fa- quite fancies the butcher's boy. Well, I like, well, I like Rose's advice as well. Ask him out. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Where's that going to happen? <laughs> In those days, disgusting. <laughs> There's also a very uh, one of the more obvious bad wolf references in this conversation as well. Like it's not just something I, that's hidden. Is it? I thought that was late. I thought that was later on. Um... No, no, uh, it's oh, no, no, it is here. Yeah, 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 she yeah, starts. The, big bad, the things she starts. Yeah, talks about. Well, first, she talks about, like you say, 
missing her dad and then talks about um, metal birds in the sky and metal carriages, obviously cars and planes. And yeah, you said the darkness. And then she says, I'm the big bad wolf. And that seems to scare, uh, scare Gwen after death. She takes a couple of steps back, doesn't she? And looks quite horrified. Yeah. So uh, what, what could this big bad wolf be? Don't spoil anything, Sean. No, no, no. But is it one thing I did want to ask you was as a question because like, so you watched this when you were an adult. Like, I watched it when I was a kid, and I always I, I had no choice. So I was an adult when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it as a kid, and um, I thought I was really smart for noticing the like the Bad Wolf references and the Torchwood references and the Harold Saxon references when you get to the later seasons. But as I was curious, as an adult, were they obvious? Because I've, I've kind of got that bias now of where well, I uh, know. As an adult, did you notice, like, oh, Bad Wolf keeps being mentioned in, like, each episode, or was it not until it was pointed out to you, like, oh, yeah, that's that's a thing that's been happening. No, yeah, yeah. I don't think I'd noticed it by um, by this point. But, yeah, as the, as the series went on, you definitely do... And I was like reading magazines as well, so he, there was quite a bit of discussion in the the sci-fi world what this big bad wolf could be. Uh, in the, the fantasy, yeah, yeah <laughs> where it, you know, um, and where it was going. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, so yeah, you, you do pick up on it, especially if you watch. It, oh, I always find it works better when you watch it back because you can really see how things. When you know what the reveal is, you can really see how it's all sort of threaded through the uh, the series. It's a clever way of doing it, you know. They're standalone episodes apart from the two parters, but they still have a sort of clever thread running through them that leads you to uh, the big bad wolf. Yeah, it's one of the things Doctor Who does really well, where. Um... You can you you can kind of jump in at any episode and just have that episode as a self-contained story, but um, there is also an ongoing thread throughout, or at least it did it really well at one point. I don't know if it still does, but um, so, so um, obviously Rose asks Gwen the fact she could know all these things, and they start talking about her sight and visions, and the Doctor walks in and he uh, simply says. But it's getting stronger, and aren't they? Yeah, the doctor's just, uh, how long has he been standing there and listening? Yeah, <laughs> and then he talks about yeah how she's grown up on the rift and um, what you were saying before, basically. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I like it. And the rift, of course, because it's probably worth mentioning. The rift through time and space becomes an important part in sort of Doctor Who lore. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? In this, it's meant in this season as well. It's it's, re, it's utilized in this season again as well later on. Yeah, not just in this episode or this season. It is um, referred back to um, a few times, isn't it? But going back to Torchwood, it's it's a, it's basically a yeah. It, it's a, it's a central part of Torchwood. It's why it's it's a big plot point of Torchwood. But um, it's also it comes up in Doctor Who a couple of times as well. Oh, yeah, but all these things going on in America, but Cardiff is where it's happening. Yeah, Cardiff's where it's at, apparently. But, um, yeah, and then they go on and it's... They have, the doctors were going to have a seance. That's it, yeah. And um, there's a really great bit where I, um, 
when Dickens doesn't want to do it and he stands up and walks away and the doctor calls him humbug. And I, I was like, yeah, I love that. <laughs> but you would, wouldn't you? You would. <laughs> you mm. couldn't resist that opportunity. You'd have to, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely. And um, so when they start talking, they identify themselves as the Gelf. Um, they say there are very few of them. And uh, they sort of blame the time war for um, what happened to them, don't they? Depleting their uh, number and uh, making them in corp. Making them incorporeal and destroying their world, basically. Yeah, little details like that are what I really like. You could have, you could, you wouldn't have even had to have mentioned the time war for this episode to work, but by mentioning it, you add to the deeper lore of the story, and it makes the world feel more. It makes it feel like a universe, like like like. Yeah. So, so something happened. Something, some cataclysmic event happened in this universe, and it had knock-on effects. And um, yeah, and obviously. Because the doctor feels responsible for yeah. the outcome of the time war, he's obviously going to have a feeling of uh, guilt and responsibility for the girl's plight as well. I'll, which I'll mention is, this uh, later on good. at the end of the episode, but that's the doctor agreeing to help because of the time war is something I'll I'll talk about it more, but just make yeah. a note of it. Yeah, for now. Definitely. Um, so the doctor says, "Yeah, why don't you?" Um, I mean, the Gelf explain that they need vessels, don't they, to yeah. uh, to walk in our to walk or live in our world? And the doctors as well. You can use the dead, <laughs> and this starts uh, quite uh, an argument of morality um, about respecting the dead between uh, Rose and the, <laughs> the doctor. Doctor, the doctor very casual. It's almost like recycling. <laughs> I also. Maybe I'm just looking too deep into it, but I like the idea that the Doctor doesn't care too much for dead bodies in, because Time Lords have... Maybe it's just a thought that's happened to be now, but Time Lords have multiple bodies? Well, yeah, they regenerate. I mean, who knows how long they uh, actually live. Uh, they, you know, they can actually live for if they, if they look after themselves. It's also established very later on in Matt Smith's episode that when you see the Doctor's uh, tomb... His, his body isn't there, it's his time stream, and he says, well, why would you, it, there's no point burying my body, I've had loads of them. Yeah. So maybe maybe that sort of culture is why time loads don't necessarily care as much for the, the actual dead body, because they'd have, they'd, have, they'd have had multiple bodies in their timeline. So maybe that maybe that's sort of the doctor's yeah. bias as a time lord, where it's like, well, it, it doesn't matter, it's just the body. I mean, I can see his point of view from uh, one aspect, but, you know, you're going to have Millions of people seeing uh, their dead parents, grandparents walking around with a, uh, a different entity in there. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it would uh, work out really. Well, he does also say later on that he's going to he'll take them off. Earth. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a bit more like it. Yeah, he says like I'll, you know, you, you will find you your own world. This is just, and he does. And to be fair, he also does come round and says. Uh, We'll build you proper bodies as well, and then you can leave these ones and go yeah. into this isn't permanent fix. Because they'd have to be relatively fresh cadavers. I, you know, I don't think they'd want to or be able to walk around in uh, rotting corpses or whatever, would they? So, uh... I mean, I, I, I think part of the girls' power, for want of a better term as well, is that they can also sustain the, uh, the body while they're in it. You would imagine. Yeah. But I think they can only... I don't know if they can only 
um, staying some for so long because uh, that one had to leave that old woman in the play, didn't they? So yeah, I like um, yeah, and then the the doctor says to Rose there's a line where he says, "Do you carry a donut card?" And he makes a fair point. Like, well, how's this any different? <laughs> and I think it's fair because the doctor is ultimately right. You know what I mean? He says, like, I, well, look, I, he basically says, I can't let this entire race of people die. No, no. Of your death. Definitely But I do not. like that Rose has misgivings about it as well, because it is like, well, yeah, you know, you should respect these people in death. And so, but, they, um, they, it's one of those things where they, they both have a valid point. You know what I mean? It's like, well, what, what can we do? Yeah, but uh, uh, it's, it seems that uh, Gwen is more than keen to, to help them, to calling them my angels, and it seems like they've been talking to her through this rift for, well, maybe she was uh, very little by the signs of it. Yeah. They said they were speaking to, like, she said that my angel's been whispering to me since, yeah, since I was a little yeah. girl. She said them all her life. It's uh, very, very strange. Might, might also have something to do with uh, her sight as well. You, you don't know. I also like how, um, well, because they say like, where's the weakest spot in the building? Because the doctor says that where, like, if, you know, the weakest. He, he said that the weakest point of the building is where the rift will be most strong because that's why that's what makes the building weak. He says just need. Where most of the ghost pieces he goes in the morgue, and I just said that thing with a big smile on my face. Like, well, of course, it's the morgue. <laughs> you, you couldn't have said the kitchen, <laughs> of course, the finale in a morgue. Yeah, so then we get to, um, I think they get Gwen has to stand in the ref, doesn't she? Um, in the archway, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to sort of hold it open for the, um, for the gelf to come through. And it uh, quite quickly takes uh, a sinister turn, doesn't it, Sean? Yes, they go from blue to orange. You Even know they're bad. You know they're bad <laughs> when they go orange. But it's funny because, as well, technically, if you want to get the, the science of it, is um, blue is the roaring flame and orange is the mm. calm flame. So it kind of flips. But yeah, I do like that they change color, though. It, like, like a flame would change color because they're gas. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you were going to add something to that. That's why I didn't jump straight in. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. I was just saying I like that they, they because they change colour, like flames change colour depending on how much oxygen they're exposed to and things like that. But uh, Gelf inhabits uh, another cadaver and um, quickly attacks and kills Mr. Snee, doesn't doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I've got that right. The, yeah, Dickens says there's only, like you said, that you were few. In yeah, number and, uh, a few billion, but, and it's revealed to be an invasion. And this yeah. is the point I wanted to make earlier. Well, I get back to you. I will. There's one more thing I want to talk about before we get there. So, well, I'll, I'll make this point near the end. <laughs> but yeah, they're they're not too keen on sharing the Earth or going anywhere else. They want to inhabit the planet and uh, make it their own. By the sounds of it, so yeah, they're they not being them. totally honest in that seance. They deceived them, and they are going. Their plan is to kill to kill Earth, to kill every human and inhabit their bodies. Well, we're not having any of that. No, anyway. well, they, they, Charles Dickens runs away. Yeah, gets a, gets a bit much for him, doesn't he? I think 
anyone in their right mind would probably decide to. Yeah, uh, you can't blame them. That. Like, <laughs> the supposed to. But uh, as he as he runs into the street, he sees one of the gals um, going into a gas light, and he realises that's the key, the gas. Yeah, the, the I, I guess um, point of a better term, it sort of dilutes them in the air. If you turn up the gas, mm. because they they're made of gas, and if there's so much gas in the air, they just become part of it. I guess. And um, yes, yeah. it's probably something like that. I, I don't ever think the science of uh, of these things. Sci-fi shows. Sometimes. Sometimes, if you think about it too much, it all starts to unravel. Yeah, <laughs> not exactly. all the time, not all the time, but sometimes. But anyway. I do. It's important to establish in this one as well that this is this episode's the first note of like, the notion of time can be rewritten. Where yeah, the... I was a, I was just about to to get to that because Rose says uh, to the Doctor, "Well, I can't die in this time because you know I'm alive in uh, 2005." But the Doctor says, uh, "Unfortunately, you can." And as you say, he starts talking about how time is. Isn't a straight line, it's constantly in flux. And because we've gone back in time, we've already changed events and uh, it can be rewritten. And it's quite good, says, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's just well, it's, it's necessary for stakes ultimately as well. It's like, well, if nothing, yeah, because Rose points out as well beyond her own death, she says, but like she says, I, I know, like, I just know, like, like it's, a, it's established fact that the Gelf did not take over the world in 1869. <laughs> But then the doctor says, "Well, that, that's not how it works. Time can be rewritten, and you know, it, it time time basically happens as it happens to them. Yeah. Basically. It's, not, it's not uh, fixed. Time and they, they, wibbly just, wobbly. Yeah. Later on, they talk about certain things being fixed and things like that. But yeah. but it's uh, it's all established naturally through the show. It's, it, it never feels forced, and they feel like easy rules to understand. Exactly. Yeah." You've got to have, yeah, I've got to have some sort of rules to try and explain why, um, as you say, why the stakes and why they can't do certain things and uh, so forth. Yeah, the the rewriting time is again something that we'll, we'll talk about more on Father's Day because it's basically the crux of that episode. Yeah. Um, so Dickens runs back into the funeral parlour and uh, starts turning the gas up, doesn't he? Covering his face with a bit of a cloth as he. He does so, so not to inhale too much of the gas. Um, yeah, uh, as I liked as well. I would, again, maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but the gas affects Charles and Rose more than the Doctor. I'm wondering if that's maybe a nod because the Doctor's not human, so it doesn't necessarily need it. Yeah, probably he's got two hearts and whatnot, so yeah, it probably doesn't affect him in the same way, does it? Nope. <laughs> uh, the Doctor sort of asks Gwen to send them back, but she says she can't, they're too strong. So uh, the best you can do is uh, hold them there, isn't there? Isn't there? And Dickens runs down, um, telling them it's a gas, it's a gas, and he's turn turn the gas up. And yeah, so, and then when they they do it, um, of course it, it's revealed the big reveal is she she's going to have to blow herself up to. Yeah, she's well, going to have to. She can't send them back. All she can do is hold them there while. Uh, they turn the gas up and, yeah, as you say, blow the place up. But this is that point that I wanted to make earlier, sorry, is that um, the world is ultimately imperiled because of the Doctor in this episode. 
the doctor is tricked by the guilt because of his guilt around the time war. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. Gwyneth has to sacrifice her life to fix that mistake. And it's, it, you see it more in future episodes, but it's nice that, again, it just adds to the reality of the world that even the, the doctor might be the hero, but the, the time war affected him. Yeah, but he, he has a blind spot where it's concerned. A little bit, but he is always, like with the, um, the living consciousness, he's always willing to give him a chance to uh, do the right thing before he uh, has to defeat or stop them, doesn't he? he you know, he, he gives them a chance. For his own conscience, yeah, basically. Maybe for it, yeah, for his own It's more, it's, 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 it's more from but... self. He doesn't yeah. just go around uh, saying you can't, you, you know, you're going to have to die or, you know, killing aliens left, right and centre, does he? Well, not in a, <laughs> there's, that'll be a talking point in a few episodes, but <laughs> yeah, for now, yes. But you know what I mean, there's, a, there's always a good, he stops, he stops these things because he has to, but he's always willing to give them. Uh, a, a chance to either uh, redeem themselves or um, do something good, doesn't he? Yeah, again, it's true. I like that. Um, it's one of the suggestions. I like. I say it sounds cool. I like that. Need died. This point I'm going to bring up. So yeah. you, you feel bad for the guy, but I think as well, I like think it's the. It, and it's this is the same in the second character in as many episodes to die. Your Jade died in. Uh, the end of the world and Sneed dies, yeah, and I like that because it sets up stakes again as well. Even if you don't think the Doctor and even if you think the Doctor and Rose are safe, the side characters, uh, anything's on the table and something bad could absolutely happen to them. Yeah, if if no one uh, gets injured or dies, you're you're not gonna have any stakes, and you have no reason to worry about uh, the characters or the consequences surrounding the characters. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, so well, I mean that, that's obviously the, the crux of the episode, really, isn't it? There's a bit where they go back to the they have a nice little moment of silence for Gwyneth and Rose comments on how she's you know she's a serving girl. Well, yeah, no there's a bit. Yeah, there was a bit. Her. I just wanted to mention before we get to that because Doctor tells Doctor tells everybody to um, to run off and and um, they leave him with Gwen and he tries to to ask. You know, so you, you don't have to sacrifice yourself. You can leave now, but she says she can't. She's got to hold them here. And um, as I say, back to, back to when uh, they're discussing what happened, he's, he seems to think she was dead the minute she stepped in the rift, more or less, doesn't he? Yeah, he thinks that they... And it, it would tally with them, of course. They could have just killed her and possessed her. Yeah. I think... Uh, I don't necessarily... Maybe they weren't possessing her because she she still had some self control. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he means. I don't think she. He means um, she died as soon as she stepped there. But uh, I think. Oh yeah, sorry. I see what you mean. Not literally. It was like yeah, but it was her fate. Her fate was sealed. That's basically it. Yeah. Um, Bless her. And yeah, like you say, going back. Like she, um, she was a nice. It's a case of whether you. It was only one episode, but she was a nice character, well written, well acted, easily likable, and she has to die, and that's ultimately where the, the tension in these episodes comes from. Because you, even if, even if the, the 
you know, put in Doctor Who, the cheap special effects and hope your props uh, let you down, uh, you will ultimately care because you care about the characters and you want them to make it through. Exactly, yeah. But um, but Dickens is uh, reinvigorated again after this adventure, isn't he? He's uh... Yes, he mentions a book called The Mystery of Edwin Drood. Yeah, uh, and that it lacks an ending, and that is a nod to the mystery of Ed- the book, the mystery of Edwin Drood, which does in fact lack an ending because Dickens died before he could finish it. And yeah, left- that that is mentioned, isn't it? Well, won't it? Um, uh, I forget what Rose exactly says now, but said, but won't it affect Wait. time or something? If he if he writes and tells everybody about this alien invasion, and the Doctor sort of replies, well. He, he never gets to to write his ending. As he'll he never dies. get the chance. Yeah, he but it, it does all. As much as that's it, it's sad, of course. And the doctor does point out, well, you know, it, it brutally, but he was already dead in your time. But look at it this way: we for the last couple of months of his life, we've reinvigorated him and we've given him yeah. his passion. And then um, Dickens walks away at the end, like just like Ebenezer Scrooge at the end of the Christmas Carol, and like Merry Christmas to you all. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> nice. uh, um, yeah, I'd like also just, uh, this is just a quick point at the end as well, but uh, I think this is one of the few Doctor Who episodes to be set at Christmas, just when, uh, even though it's not a Christmas special. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point, actually. And, I can't um, think of any other time that happens, actually. <laughs> in the, in no, not, not that I can think of offhand, but uh, we might be proved wrong as we go through more, but I think they are primarily saved for the uh, the Christmas specials, aren't they? Yes. Um, I think, yeah, as you say, Dickens sort of watches the uh, the TARDIS sort of uh, disappear, for lack of a better word. And just cackles. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is almost like he is his character. He starts off a bit Scrooge-like, all sort of grumpy and downtrodden, and then by the end of it, Thanks to some like not exactly ghosts, but ghostly things, he's uh, reinvigorated yeah. and uh, t- almost turned over a new leaf because he's all happy and uh, nice to people again. Yeah, the girls, the girls. Like, I don't know, maybe the girls are the ghosts of Christmas past. The Doctor and Rose are the ghosts of Christmas future, <laughs> and uh, he himself is the ghost of Christmas present. Yeah, sure, why not? That works. Maybe, maybe, or maybe Gwyneth is the ghost of uh, the present. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe we're reaching. But either way, I like this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it quite a lot. More more than I remembered, actually, as well. Like, this is yeah. an episode I genuinely recommend. If people haven't rewatched it, they should. Because I, I remember being, like, I liked this episode, but I didn't remember liking it quite as much as I did upon rewatching it. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a while since I've rewatched this episode, actually, and I, I'm in the same boat. I remember, I remember liking it, but uh, yeah, I forgot how good it actually is. And hopefully, yeah, that'll be the case of the next two episodes because they aren't <laughs> necessarily my favourites. But we'll go into that when we uh, do the pod for those episodes. Yeah, well, yeah, I look, I look forward to it. And um, yeah, I just want to say, well, this is of the three we've done so far. This episode was probably my favourite. I'd say it even tops the pilot. Yeah, no, uh, I would agree with that too. I would say it's probably my favourite episode so far. 
and with that, I guess we the dematerialize into the sunset. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I've, um, I think we can. We uh, we can do some of our plugs. You can find us at uh, Rogue underscore Rogue opinions, opinions on Twitter. At, uh, Rogue opinions everywhere, basically. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Twitter. It's the same handle for Twitter. Um, Instagram. I can never remember if it's uh, underscore or a dot now because I had to change it a couple of times so they were all the same everywhere. And it's and got me it's, confused. I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention this, but I'll just do it. Uh, if you're a fan of the sci-fi pods, we're also just thinking about doing a Marvel one. That's been in the works, so no guarantee when that'd be out. But No, no, you can't mention that. <laughs> <laughs> Top secret. No, of course you can, yeah. Yeah, it is rogue underscore opinions. I thought so, but then I started to panic. I'm getting it wrong. But yeah, um, the brand of my heart. <laughs> um, yeah, we've got um, another pod by the Naked Men, Nathan and um, Ben, who don't actually pod nude. Uh, you don't have to panic about that. Um, they've got one up as uh, as we speak, so tune into that. You can see uh, my abject. Failure and utter humiliation in the latest installment of Kayfabe Court. If you want to check that out, there's um, Opinions Are Strange Before the Storm. The second episode of, of that is out as we speak. So, uh, yeah, lots of content. And of course, come back next week. We'll be here. Oh, Same. and uh, Nathan and Jimmy Same. did uh, a pod on San Diego Comic Con talking about. All the new Disney Marvel series that are coming, like uh, the new Blade and Thor series. I think is it a series of Thor one? Well, it could be a no, movie. Thor: Love and Thunder isn't a reboot. It's a it's a film. It's a Thor, film. Or Thor, if you like. <laughs> but yeah, all good stuff, and that'll be covered in our San Diego Comic Con pod. Anything else you want to plug away there first, John? Just our first to be continued episode next week, which I'm looking forward to. I really like yeah. the long, the long Doctor Who stories. It's a it's a double episode, and we'll be trying to cover both episodes in one pod. So we'll we'll be seeing how that. Yeah. How We're going to see how that goes. It works <laughs> logistically or not, but I think for the first one, we'll probably will try and record it as a as both episodes in one. So next week will be Aliens of London. And World War Three, and then if it works, yeah. we'll continue on that format for the to be continued. And if not, we'll just do them one at a time. Yeah, or well, it all depends on length. If uh, it goes stupidly long, we might have to rethink it. But uh, we're going to play it by ears anyway. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, goodbye from me. Bye. Bye.